Welcome, Bird Gang, on today's show. Paul Calvisi joins me. So that hole the Cardinals dug themselves, yeah, it just got a little deeper. Now is it too deep to climb out of? I guess time will tell, and time is not really on their side. Let's get into it. All the good, bad, and ugly from a Week 9 loss to the Seahawks. It's Cardinals Cover 2, Episode 612, and it starts now. Welcome to Cardinals Cover 2. Hit in the backfield and down he goes for a loss. J.J. Watt nailed him. Cardinals Cover 2 is presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. And by Arizona Cardinals Podcasts. Visit azcardinals.com slash podcasts. He's at the 10, at the 5, he's in again! Some more Murray Magic! Wow! Here's Craig Grealoux. So I did look out my window first thing this morning, Paul. And yes, the sun did come up here on Monday, November 7th. Although, for a little while there, I wasn't quite sure post-Sunday in a 31-21 loss to the Seattle Seahawks at State Farm Stadium. Well, it's Arizona. Come on. We're going to get sunshine. You know, that's 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 the given. You sure you didn't see any clouds on the horizon there, Gree? Are you sure about that? Not a cloud in the sky, although amongst the fan base, I can certainly see a lot of clouds, uh, sense a lot of dark clouds, and I don't know if they're going away anytime soon, at least not before the next time the Cardinals are on the field next Sunday in Los Angeles. What is the seven-day forecast, by the way? <laughs> that's that's how we're taking it around here. One seven-day forecast at a time. Get the Doppler radar out because it's not so much where you are. It's how you got here and where you're going, correct? I don't want to get too philosophical around here, but it's what do you do about what got you here and what can you do going forward? Because if you're telling me, for example, I'll just pick, okay, out of the hat, let's just pick one issue because there are many. In fact, that's part of the problem, is it not? You can't fix a problem unless you can diagnose it. How do you prescribe it if you can't diagnose it and identify it? And You know, it works during the course of a game, and everyone's watching the game in a different capacity to a different level. And as a sideline reporter, I have my little notebook here, and as I'm kind of keeping track of what's going on and keeping your head on a swivel on the back of the other side of the page, I'm always writing down potential questions. Oh, well, that's a key play. I better ask Coach about that. That's another key play. Mm, That didn't go very well. Let me ask about that. that. By the time we get to the fourth quarter, I've got a dozen different critical mistakes that I could potentially ask about. That's too many. <laughs> that's that's problematic. When there are so many that you can't point to a single moment or a single play as a turning point, as a game changer, as something to immediately address and or remedy. You know, many games you can count them on one hand, okay? And 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 literally for almost 20 years, I do the post-game interview with the head coach and you're asking a few questions as to key turning points in the game, for better or worse. Well, with this team this year, too often, there's just too many plays you can cite. And and I think, honestly, that's your answer, that there is nothing specific. And that's what makes it truly problematic. And or, dare I say it, fatal, lethal. It is undermining your season as we speak. The abundance of errors in different areas. Too many guys, too culpable, too often. 
What do you do as a head coach and a coaching staff? What do you identify? And so, once again, it's not necessarily where you're at, because guess what? If you actually win your next two games against these NFC West opponents, okay, you'll be right in the thick of it, at least the way the NFC is right now. But nobody wants to hear that, especially yours truly. you got to figure out how you got here and if you can do anything different to, once again, change the seven-day forecast. It's funny, you look at how we all entered this season and it didn't matter how this team began the first month, two months, because everyone was going to point to, all right, what do you do in December? How do you finish based off the team's lack of finish a year ago? Yet here you are at three and six. You're quickly running out of time because you're 0-3 within the division. You're three games back of first place Seattle. Again, first place Seattle, I still can't believe, but you see it now. You've seen it twice in four weeks. But essentially a four-game deficit because the Seahawks just swept you with that win on Sunday. So is there time? Eight games? Sure. But to your point, based off the mistakes, what has led anyone to believe that there is enough time to get back into this playoff picture? Because right now you're so far out of the picture, you're not even out of focus. You're, 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 you're like in a different picture frame when you look at what is going on this season for the Arizona Cardinals. As long as we keep hearing the two words self-inflicted, I don't think any observer has true reason to believe. And, and I think the question becomes, hit zoom out, does the locker room believe? And I think that's a legitimate question. You know, when Kelvin Beecham, one of the team leaders on question on this team, a guy who honestly was in the governor's race one day before the election as we record this, I'd vote for him for governor considering the field we have out there. Any elected office right now, I'd vote Kelvin Beecham in there. So when he's saying Cardinals beating Cardinals, that's exactly what we've been saying. Pretty much the extent of this season, it's self-inflicted. And is there any reason to believe that's going to change, that they're going to be able to resolve that? And look, this whole notion that, okay, uh, it starts in practice, sure. I'll buy that as far as the approach and the mentality. But you're not playing full contact football in practice. Not even close to full contact football. So there is no direct correlation between your performance in practice versus game day. Let's just eliminate that line of thinking because there's nothing that resembles full game day, full contact football at any point during a practice week during a regular season. Cardinals came up with a different way to kind of describe a week game as far as week nine a different format yet the result was the same Paul for the first time this season the Cardinals took the ball on their opening possession the offense marched downfield 14 plays 83 yards and scored a touchdown for the first time all season in the first quarter first time since week 13 a year ago they scored on their first possession of the game and you had a lead You had a lead at the end of the first quarter for the first time all year. It looked good. But after that first drive, the next seven drives, six punts, a lost fumble, and as Zach Ertz pointed out, postgame. Started fast, got a lead for the defense, and from there it just felt like the wheels fell off. Even at halftime, it's 10-7. You're down a field goal, and then you come out to start the second half, and you have that miserable three and out. It just, yeah, whatever... Whatever adjustments Seattle made and or fatal mistakes the Cardinals committed, 
And I'm going to go back to that interior O-line. When Will Hernandez went out of the game, that was significant. It, it just is. You're on your third center. You're on, what, your third left guard, maybe fourth. And now you, Will Hernandez, you rock at right guard. He is out. And the two big game wreckers on that Seattle defense go by the name of Al Woods and Shelby Harris, interior D linemen. So that was an issue, that inside pressure, the penetration on a consistent basis. We know it's especially problematic to a Kyla Murray, who is not Big Ben. He doesn't hang in there like an oak tree with pass rushers dripping off his jersey using completes passes downfield. We get it. So once again, I'll go back. If you're telling me the interior line is in the similar shape against the Rams and Aaron Donald, look out. Because right now, that, that there's no amount of game planning or scheming that's going to resolve that unless you want to truly all of a sudden get Kyler on the move with a bunch of boots and start moving the pocket, which which maybe they have to consider doing. But we've seen no evidence in his three-plus years with the Cardinals that he is he is down with that, that he's experienced at that, and, and that he'll try – you know, they'll find that effective in any way. We'll see. Putting him in the shotgun gives him more time when you have a suspect offensive line, especially up the middle. Yet when you're dealing with, as we look at it, four different starting left guards, three different starting centers, and potentially a second different starting right guard, depending on what's going on with Will Hernandez. And maybe that's where it starts and begins with when you look at this offense because if your quarterback doesn't have time to throw the football, you don't have a downfield passing game. Cardinals only had one passing play of longer than 18 yards, and that was a short pass across the middle to DeAndre Hopkins, who then he carried it into the end zone for 22 yards and the score. So, you know, we all know what the issues are, but to your point, how do you solve if once again the O-line cannot protect the quarterback and the quarterback has to work a little bit harder? Do you roll him out more? Can he throw on the run? Talking about Kyler Murray. Because right now, even these little quick screens, which would help, but they're not even effective. No, it just... You know, we saw one screen, and I forget who it went to, and DeAndre Hopkins was the lead blocker. Well, guess what? DeAndre Hopkins is not Larry Fitzgerald at the end of his career. He's not one of the best blocking receivers in the league. Cardinals, for the most part, have smaller, uh, slighter build receivers. So when you throw these perimeter screens, it's contingent on defenders getting moved, defenders getting blocked. Cardinals don't have the personnel around whoever's making the reception to truly block and pave the way. So that's the difference. Like when people say, oh, the Eagles came to town and they made that perimeter screen game work. Well, guess what? You got A.J. Brown out there moving dudes. And so Cardinals don't have that sort of player in the receiver room. Now, if you argue, hey, let's get a Steven Anderson out there in space as a blocker, uh, a Trey McBride, okay. And we saw a little bit of that at times. But once again, this has been a season-long ailment that that has affected the Cardinals, the lack of a downfield passing game. It just is, and it hasn't been consistent, and at times it's been completely absent. Again, Cardinals are the only team without a passing play of 40 or more yards, but I would settle for a passing play of 25 or 30 or more yards at this point because this dink and dunk, you can do it for a drive or two, but to be consistent throughout the entire game – now all of a sudden that's more plays for more mistakes, and you looked at the mistakes that they te- the, the offense made on Sunday, eight pre-snap penalties, four of those will false start penalties, and wow. you're at home. Wow. And look, 
Drew Stan said it after the game with you, and he said it before the game with me. The team that runs the ball will win the game. And you're thinking, come on, it's not that simple. But if you're thinking, how do you open up the downfield passing game? Well, especially against the way defenses are playing the Cardinals, which it's not just Seattle. This has been the pattern, and I fully expect this to continue. They're going to see solid fronts, five-man fronts. They're going to stack that defensive line with three interior linemen, two ends. They're going to crash. Each one of the ends is going to crash to try and do their best to prevent Collar from pulling it and running it. And they're going to challenge the Cardinals to run the ball between the tackles. Meanwhile, they're going to go the two high safety, soft shell coverage, prevent any deep strikes, and they're going to challenge the Cardinals to have an intermediate passing game. And right now, what's missing? The run game by anyone other than Kyler. Second straight game, he's your leading rusher. I specifically asked Cliff Kingsbury after the game, is that problematic? He said yes, absolutely. And then number two, where's the intermediate passing game? Something to force the defense to pull one of those safeties down into the box or a little closer to the line of scrimmage. Now with perhaps a single high look, you can get a deep shot to one side of the field or another. And so that really is the challenge that the Cardinals face defensively, game in and game out, and they've yet to prove capable of beating that defensive approach. I went back and looked because your question to Cliff about Kyler Murray I think was a good one, and you look – and this season, Kyler Murray has led the team in rushing four times. Mm. They have yet to win any one of those games, and three of his four leading rushing games have happened in the last four games and twice against the Seahawks. It can't just be Kyler Murray. As much as everything falls on the quarterback, he can't do it by himself, and then also he can't fumble the ball as well. You talk about pivotal points in the game on Sunday – You're going into halftime potentially tied at 10 or maybe with the lead, and you're carrying the ball loose, and Ryan Neal just does get a finger, a couple of fingers on the football to knock it out of your hands, and you lose it. And again, you go into the locker room, and it's just like the air has been sucked out of the stadium. The roof is open, so it's got somewhere to go, and you're just like, really? I mean, once again, in position, and then you cough it up. And it was that play – that was preceded by the Robbie Anderson drop. So you, know, you think about it, and the play before that, it was Eno Benjamin on third and 14, and he got 15 with a Herculean effort. Oh, yeah. I mean, just unbelievable effort. So now the building's coming alive, right? They're feeding off an Eno Benjamin, a fan favorite to begin with, with the ASU background. What an effort. And then a couple plays later on third and four, Robbie Anderson right in the midst, clunk, and eight a Brutal drop for what would have been a chunk play. Fourth and four, Kyler escapes, makes the Seahawks pay. There he is, a big chunk run. Ball comes out, and before the half, you lose out on a chance to at least tie the game, if not take the lead, get the building behind you. You come out after halftime, and then with a quick three and out, and it was dead. The The building was just dead at that point. And there was zero home field advantage for the Cardinals because the fans are going to feed off what you're giving them. And at that point, there wasn't enough to ratchet up the emotions in that building. And, yeah, there was that stretch. I know you had some of the numbers. There was that stretch of uh, offensive futility after that opening touchdown drive. That's just confounding because you ask the players, you ask the head coach, do they make any significant defensive adjustments? No, there wasn't anything radical they did with their scheme, Seattle. Once again, you get back to Cardinals beating Cardinals. And the fact that DeAndre Hopkins was MIA for much of that game, 
two targets, two catches on the first drive, and then targeted three times the rest of the game. I go back to when Larry Fitzgerald was playing for the Arizona Cardinals not too long ago, and whether or not he's retired, but he's no longer playing football. But whenever the team, regardless of the quarterback, needed a play or needed to get the crowd back into the ball game, you targeted number 11. Yep. And I think Hopkins can be that player for this year's versions and for however long he's here. But you have to be able to throw the ball his way, and it was amazing just watching a couple of plays where the ball is snapped and Kyler's not even looking left or looking right, and they did move D-Hop around. So, yeah, Tyreek Woolen did play well, but they weren't matched up or he, they weren't targeting Hopkins a lot when Woolen was on him. And, and Woolen is playing the right side of Seattle's defense, the left side of the Cardinals' offense. So when Hop went to the left side – then boom, he saw number 27, the 6'4", round five rookie, who runs a 4-2-6, the former receiver who somehow fell under the radar and now ends up in Seattle in your most, in, most recent offensive, uh, sorry, defensive rookie of the month. And then, of course, you got Kenneth Walker, the offensive rookie of the month, Geno Smith, the offensive player of the month. And so Seattle has hit the reset button with players like that. And it was – it was uh, quite quite impressive to watch him check D-Hop. But once again, to your point, that wasn't the entirety of the game because every time D-Hop went to the right side, Woolen did not follow. And there were other times where he started inside and then he was in motion and he didn't have 27 on him. And so, uh, yeah, you you at least wanted that those targets to double against Seattle. And especially as things bogged down, I think we were all surprised we didn't see it because if there's one receiver in the league you can force the ball to, it is – DeAndre Hopkins, especially as Drew Stan likes to say, as soon as you see the defenders back to the line of scrimmage, throw it. Throw it because D-Hop has the advantage. He can go to either side of the defender. He has that catch radius. And then, of course, you saw the two of them get into it on the sideline a little bit. Now, I will say, and I've said this repeatedly, that obviously the TV cameras are going to catch a moment in time, and they caught everything, and they documented, and everybody saw the two of them going back and forth. It was mainly Kyler yelling at D-Hop. I will say... Not too long after that, they were both sitting on either side of Cam Turner looking at a tablet, and they're trying to figure out, okay, what are we doing on the next series? So, And you heard D-Hop after yep. the game that he doesn't mind the passion from Kyler Murray. At the same time, you'd love to see Kyler maybe take some of the blame, for example, on the Greg Dortch double pass, and he put the blame on Dortch. And I'm not saying it wasn't Dortch's fault. This seems a little curious, though, that the lateral, you wouldn't start that play with a lateral, but at the yeah. same time, how many times was Kurt Warner not responsible or culpable for a mistake, and he took the hit? He wore it. And that's something that the locker room notices and respects from the quarterback of any team, franchise quarterback with a franchise record contract. That's something I think goes with the job that I personally would love to see the Cardinals quarterback grow into a little bit more. Might not be your fault. Doesn't matter. Take the blame. Own it, wear it, on behalf of the rest of the guys in that huddle. Kurt Warner, Carson Palmer, always their fault, regardless if it was or was not. And to your point on that double pass, typically when you're throwing a double pass, that first pass is the lateral, not the second pass, though they did try it in the playoff 
and that didn't work out against the Los Angeles Rams, but it's something you work on in practice, but you're not going full speed, and you're not having those defenders in your face where you have feel like you're getting rushed, and obviously it certainly looked like it was two forward passes, although they counted it, and you're like, okay, let's snap the ball, let's go, and obviously someone got signaled from upstairs or from New York, and they went and said, no, that was a double pass, and once again, a great momentum-changing play because you convert on third down. Now all of a sudden it's, all right, we're punting the football back to the Seahawks. So, um, But this DeAndre Hopkins and Kyler Murray having miscommunications in week nine, It's especially if their defense is not doing anything differently, and Cliff told you post-game that there was not much, yet you're only targeting Hopkins five times in the entire game after the past two weeks, him getting double-digit targets. I mean, think of their debut way back in 2020 at the 49ers in an empty stadium. D-Hop had 14 catches on 16 targets. So, I mean, the first game they ever played together. So I'm not really buying necessarily the communication issues. It's just, as Kyler said, let's just cut to the – it's bad ball. It's bad football. It's not winning football. And I don't think it's as easy as – communication and no it goes beyond that now what it is i'm not here with the answers if i had the answers i'd have a corner office (laughs) problem is i don't know if anybody necessarily has a specific or definitive answer or less unless it would be implemented already if they did and it's not just the offense the defense has had its hiccups as well as we look at what did not go well defensively on Sunday here on Cardinals Cover 2, presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. Yes, the defense did get another takeaway. Zayvon Collins with the pick six. Just an unbelievable play, getting that ball, stepping into the passing lane, and taking it 30 yards to give the Cardinals, again, another lead, 14-10 to 10 early in the third quarter. But it's the next three times the defense took the field. Touchdown, touchdown, touchdown 13 plays 13 plays five plays the inability to get the Seahawks off the field especially on third down those first two scoring drives Paul the Seahawks went seven of seven on third down and the defense didn't even get to a third down on that last scoring drive that made it 31 21. What's amazing is after the Zayvon Collins pick six It says here, according to the analytics, hashtag no math, that the Cardinals' win probability increased from 35% to 65% as a result of that play. Now, there's still plenty of game left to play, and as we saw, the defense caved at critical times. And when you talk about drops in this game, it's not just Robbie Anderson. It's Cardinals' defense. It's Byron Murphy. It's Tanner Vallejo. Critical drops in the red zone. That could have changed the game. That would have kept touchdowns off the board because what did Geno Smith do in both cases on a third down, a critical third down? He came through, and it's those critical mistakes and critical situations by the Arizona Cardinals that are costing them games. That's NFL football. You can be as close as you want on the scoreboard. Guess what? It doesn't matter because every game virtually is close enough that a few plays will dictate the outcome of the game. Seattle made those plays. Unbelievable plays by Geno Smith and company to execute. And when the Cardinals had their chances, uh, it was a drop uh, on defense. So not to mention that there were too often uh, too too many running backs, whether it was Kenneth, Kenneth Walker, whether it was other uh, short receptions and runs, that there was just too much space 
at times. And I'm not necessarily buying that the Cardinals were just worn down physically and perhaps exhausted, although I get it. Time of possession favored Seattle, something fierce. You know, there's also something called football IQ. And the Cardinals have struggled with that. Some of those young players being in the right spot at the right time on defense. And if you're a good quarterback and going through your progressions and your reads, uh, too often there have been too many guys too open as a result of those mental breakdowns on defense. The Noah Fant 51-yard catch and run, that was a play the Seahawks had run before, several times before. And every single time he's coming across the line of scrimmage and there is wide open space when he catches the football and then you have someone trailing, whether it's an Isaiah Simmons or Tanner Vallejo. And then just the number of missed tackles once again, not wrapping up players, not wrapping up Kenneth Walker. So equal blame to go around, but the dropped third down play by Robbie Anderson and then the two drops potential interceptions by the defense. And we're talking completely about a different outcome and now new life for this Cardinals here this season. Think about it. Seattle's offense, 421 total yards. Yawn. I don't necessarily care about that. I really don't. In today's NFL, total yards doesn't necessarily move the meter. What does move the meter? Red zone and third down. Seattle was 10 of 15 on third down. They completed seven in a row at one point. Their last correct? seven. Their last seven. And then in the red zone, they were perfect. In fact, the Vikings and Seahawks have been perfect the last two games. Nine trips into the red zone, nine touchdowns. And so, guess what? You can't survive as a defense if that's the case. How many times has Vance Joseph on a Thursday told the media, uh, yeah, we got to try and stop the run. After that, it's third down and red zone. And so guess what? You can't check any of those boxes in this game. When Kenneth Walker goes out there and he has 109 yards rushing over four yards of carry, Geno Smith was a problem over six yards of carry, and they ran it 34 times for a buck 58, 4.6 yards of carry. You can't check run defense. You can't check third down. You can't check red zone. So I respect what the defense has done, and they had that stretch of four straight games where opponents had 20 points or fewer. But the last couple of games have not been good enough. Three straight games now that defense has allowed better than 30 points. But to your point, the total number of yards, Vance brought it up a couple of weeks ago. He doesn't care. You can go from the 20 to the 20, and that's easy. Then all of a sudden you need to make it more difficult for your opponent to go those last 20 yards. And to your point, the last week against the Vikings, Sunday against the Seahawks, Cardinals have made it too easy to get into the end zone as far as getting those red zone stops because you know when Vance speaks with the media this week, that's what he's going to point to. He's going to point to the inability of the defense to get off the field on third down and to keep the Seahawks and or the Vikings out of the end zone because as number of times as the defense does get off the field, how they're finishing these games, not being able to give the offense another opportunity. Yeah, The offense needs to do its job, but that complimentary football, it's cliche, Paul, but we've seen it a couple of times this season. But you need to help each other out, and the Cardinals aren't doing that. They're playing two different games as far as what the offense is doing and what the defense is doing. Honestly, Calvisi insulting, considering how Isaiah Simmons has looked the last couple of weeks, getting to the quarterback and really being dynamic, I would unleash him off the edge even more. A Byron Murphy, a Marco Wilson, and Antonio Hamilton, play man. Just match him up and let it just unleash it. I'd send Isaiah Simmons. I'd send Zaven Collins. Uh, I'd figure I'd get back to maybe that Vance ultra aggressive 
blitzing style of defense. And now that your corners are healthy and capable, and I, I try and live that way. Just try and, and, and do more to affect the quarterback. Matthew Stafford will hold on to the ball. He, he, he's got an unbelievable arm talent. He's got almost as many arm angles as Patrick Mahomes to get balls around and through defenders. But I would go after Matthew Stafford, who's not the fleetest of foot, obviously, and, and just let her rip. At this point, you're 3-6, and six, and, and you, you know what? Go down swinging, if nothing else. Interesting postgame comment from Kyler Murray. And because everyone now wants to know, to your point, you're 3-6, and six, where do you go to next outside of going to Los Angeles this week? And his words, quote, everyone's got to evaluate themselves, end quote. Was there a larger meaning within that? Is he including himself? within that comment because as we know hard knocks in season debuts on wednesday they're here the duration of the regular season hopefully into the postseason which does not look very good at the moment but there are a lot more eyeballs now on this team paul in the locker room in the meeting rooms behind the scenes what are we going to see this weekend wednesday what are we going to see the following Wednesday, depending on what happens on Sunday against the Rams, because now all of a sudden the stakes are always high in the National Football League. They just got a whole heck of a lot higher with hard knocks in season. There's no doubt. We're all curious. Once again, I said it then, I'll say it again. It was a football decision to try and bring accountability, another layer of accountability, put guy's name and face on it. And so we'll see exactly what it looks like. Uh, The cameras are everywhere. They're embedded behind the scenes. They are on the sidelines. They have the boom mics. They're uh, honing in on on so much, um, so much of what even when I'm down there you can't hear. So what exactly are they going to reveal? What will it say about the culture of this team behind the scenes? Are we going to find out? A lot of times in these shows you find out who's really a team leader and who isn't. They might not necessarily wear the C, but they're respecting that locker room and they're the leader of teammates. So we'll see if some of that comes through uh, but once again I, you know the biggest opponent for the Cardinals is itself that battle against thyself and so will that be revealed on on this episode of hard knocks and you wonder okay um, in an effort to show that something's being done you wonder if uh, you know the decision makers might be a little more aggressive in making some changes both on the field and off I'll give you an example Billy Price the last two games has not been good Do you go back to Sean Harlow at center? Is that an upgrade? I don't know. I'd be curious to see. But the offensive line between the false starts and some of the other errors, you know, what exactly – who's going to be accountable for that, for example? Um, And then, you know, the the receivers and so forth. What what can you do in, in that regard? So I'm curious, like anyone else, to see exactly what's revealed. It's easy to say just bench this player, start that player, move that player, but you're have some you there's just limited number of options, especially at this level and the number of players that are active on game day. Do you go back to Sean Harlow? Is Rodney Hudson even an option this week or next week? Because as much as DeAndre Hopkins kind of moves the needle on that offense, Rodney Hudson does as well, even though he hasn't played like he's capable of playing, but he would just stabilize a lot more on that offensive line. And you hate to point to one thing when it's many things, but that offensive line, if you can get healthy or healthier, I certainly would like where this team potentially could go or at least look a lot better. 
you realize the Cardinals have lost 11 of their last 15 games. Think about that. You're 3-6. and six, You lost five of your last six to end last season. What's wrong? Are we going to get an answer maybe on hard knocks? What is plaguing this team ever since the 10-2 and two start? Is it within their ability to change it? Is it truly a matter of focus and finish and uh, energy and moxie and all these intangible things? Is that really what it comes down to? Is there something more systemic that is leading? You know, you mentioned Vance Joseph, and there have been two – somewhat philosophical statements he's made in the last month. About a month ago, he said, and I think he was talking about the young players in particular, the process of winning in the NFL is much harder than winning on game day. I think he was speaking to especially the young guys who maybe weren't preparing the right way. Maybe there wasn't enough being invested during the game week, Monday through Saturday, before you got to Sunday. Then there was another comment from Vance Joseph this past week about how every side of the ball has to evolve that after a month of game film, guess what? You have to start doing things differently. You have to self-scout, realize how teams are playing you. The odds are they figured you out. You have to evolve. You have to be a moving target. Are the Cardinals doing enough of that on offense? Is that the defensive coordinator's way of saying that, guess what? Um, you know, Maybe the opponents aren't seeing enough evolution of the Cardinals' offense. When you got to 10-2, and two, did it become too predictable down the stretch of last year, and have they picked up where they left off? This is just me thinking out loud, reading between the lines, perhaps reading too much into a Vance Joseph press conference, but as a guy who was a head coach and has his finger on every facet of the operation beyond the defense, and you see him have extended conversations with a lot of different players on this team, a lot of offensive players go to Vance Joseph and talk to him, and they should. What are you seeing on offense? What do we need to do differently? So I'm curious if there's something to that and if we will get more evidence of that behind the scenes on Hard Knocks. Cardinals 3-6, and 0-3 in the division. They've got a game coming up against the Los Angeles Rams on Sunday, the first time back at SoFi Stadium since – Mm. The wild card loss to oh, Rams boy. in which the offense did not look good. Kyler Murray had arguably his worst game of his career at any level. Now you're going back to that stadium against that opponent, against that number 99. Yeah, you say it could always get worse, Paul? Oh, boy. I, I hate to think what potentially could be worse when we're sitting here on this Monday after yeah. a 31-21 loss to the Seahawks. Yeah, the Kyler pick six he threw at his own goal line. That stands out. The Buda Baker injury, that flashes in my mind how serious that was in the moment and how scared that sideline was for team captain and one of the most beloved Arizona Cardinals ever. I'll say it. Yep. Buda Baker, look at what just the fact Buda Baker was your leading tackler again, right? And I asked Stephen Collins that question, by the way. When Buda Baker is your leading tackler, is that a good or bad thing? And he said it depends. Depends on what the safety is asked to do in within each game plan. But you can't tell me that when Buda Baker is head and shoulders your leading tackler in two straight games, that just any defensive system, it should be those inside linebackers, you would think, if you're playing it correctly. Now, Zayvon Collins has been on the edge quite a bit as well, so that's sort of a moving target in terms of personnel. And then the third takeaway from the playoff game in L.A. was the very end and complete garbage time, and hey, Paul! And I turn around, and down near the goal line in one of those luxurious, palatial, field-level boxes was Matt Leinert. Former Cardinals quarterback over there 
with his son, his 15-year-old, who's about as oh, tall as Matt Leinart. Oh, he's about as he's about as tall as Matt, and he's a big-time quarterback prospect in Southern California. <laughs> so Cole was there. Cole stood up, and I'm looking straight up, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, it's been a long time since I've seen the Leinart family. So uh, that tells you how a playoff game went when that's one of my top three takeaways. <laughs> I'll leave it there. Well, make sure you give Matt our best when you see him on this Sunday. And I, I like I like story time with Paul Calvisi to keep things light here on a disappointing, gloomy Monday, although the sun did come up here on this Monday, November 7th. I had a text message ready to go, by the way, if Cal would have beaten USC the other <laughs> night. And, oh, I didn't girl, wanted to send that so bad and take a shot at Liner. Instead, I had to stifle myself again. Uh, I don't want to talk about again. all the because yeah, Cardinals what? aren't the only how team many? that's collapsing. How many in a row, Gray? Uh, that's three. Three in a row. And the latest wow. of Fitz's and James Conner's Pitt Panthers. Don't tell you the oh. one about that, though. Yeah, well, you know, it can always get worse <laughs> than it will because you're going to lose your head coach so Dino Baber's gone and uh, you and Pash and the company are going to have to work the back channels to find your next head coach get ready to write an alum check that's all I'm going to say all right that's enough all right on that note we will put a lid on this edition of Cardinals Cover 2 presented by Hyundai proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals as always special thanks to our executive producer Jim Amahundro for Paul Calvisi I'm Craig Riolu we'll talk to you next time here on Cardinals Cover 2